buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. I am very excited for today's guest. Funny enough, I don't even know why Amy Herjavec has not been on Sales Transformation yet. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. We, you know, Amy and I have become friends. We've been working together now. She's the head of community at SalesCast. One of my absolute favorite humans for for many reasons. <laughs> um, and at some point, I think a couple weeks ago, it dawned on us that Amy has never been on the show, and it's been too long. So, Amy. Welcome to Sales Transformation. Why has it taken so long for you to get on here? I don't know. All I know is that all those all those sad nights, lonely nights that I've been watching two episodes a week, that, you know, get published. And, Only two. And one, <laughs> or no, no, no. <laughs> is it five now? Oh my gosh. Okay. But no, every time a new one would come out, I, I just, I would cry softly into my pillow. And, mm. but all I can say is that here we are and the path that has gotten us here has been a fun one, and yeah. I'm excited as well. Favorite human. Yeah, so... Favorite, favorite human. Yeah, and so hopefully you'll return the favor and, and allow me to come on <laughs> your show, Revenue Real Hotline, <laughs> which I've never been invited to, by the way. Um, but anyway, for those that maybe don't know who you are, please take okay. us back a little bit. Where did your sales journey start? I, I mean... <laughs> I started, my sales journey started young. I was a child. It was modern bracelets. Um, and I'll never forget the joy that I felt when I, my aunt, who is a graphic designer, handed me my first business card. Um, yeah, and I taught all the the neighborhood kids, including my sisters, how to do those macrame bracelets. And then I would, you know, go from beach setup to beach setup and sell them on, <laughs> on the beach. And so, that's where it started. But uh, once I graduated school, I, I, I tried a quick stint in politics, but quickly realized that was not for me. And I've been selling ever since. So I carried a bag for a decade. I then pivoted to sales enablement and I built out two sales enablement departments. And yeah, now I, I get to wake up every day and teach sellers how to use their voice and the podcasting medium to connect with buyers and and generate revenue. Mm, yeah, I remember. Mm. I remember. That I actually forgot for a second that you had a short stint in <laughs> politics. 
Oh my gosh. Well, you know what? I it's it's I can't even I wanted to be a lobbyist, okay? So there it is. And if you look at that most trusted profession or the least trusted profession, so sales is the second least trusted profession only beat by being a lobbyist and I don't know, Colin, what it says about me or my character that the, those are the two professions I was drawn to, but that's a conversation for a different day, I suppose. Well, knowing what I know about you, you probably thought it as a challenge to show that uh, it's a profession that can be trusted, right? Mm. Well, I hear that think tanks are also another angle for... uh... Do you know what I'm talking about with the ed tech? Okay. But anyway, yeah, no, it probably was actually. That's a great point. But I don't think I knew at the time that, that sales or lobbyists weren't trusted. Maybe I did, but I don't know. But here we are. Here mm. we are. All right. So tell me about your 10 years carrying a bag. Like what, uh, what, what, what were you, you know, what were the early days of, of Amy selling? What were the things that you were doing differently? What were the things that you maybe struggled with a bit as a seller? Okay. Yeah. Um, so early days. So my dad is a VP of sales. He had a financial services brokerage. And so I, I actually started in, in his office just to kind of get my bearing, then ADP, then Thomson Reuters. But when I was with my dad, right, I... I was so young, like here, and I wanted to, I had this passion about um, all the people my age that had all these student loans, okay? And so, like, I'll never forget that feeling, like, after, like, graduation week when I went to American University, right, thank goodness, I was on grants, right, like, the equivalent of scholarships, I guess, but I had, almost all of my friends had, like, triple digits, like, over $100,000 worth of loans, Um and that bothered me. Mm. And so I, I wanted to marry this idea of like selling financial mutual funds, like that kind of shit with education around money. And, and I tried a bunch of different things, but I ended up putting together this talk on how to teach kids about money and started marketing it to mom's groups. And I remember it was such like the concept itself when I first did the prospecting, Colin, like, and I had tried a bunch of things before this, it didn't work, but I I sent out a bunch of these emails to the heads of these mom's groups. And within like two hours, there were like 10 booked, which taught me a bunch, which we can come back to. But I remember in that moment now here, I don't have children. I'm like 22 years old. I, what the hell do I know about money? I can barely, like, I I didn't know shit. And so I remember feel like, I guess, imposter syndrome hmm. would be a good way to describe it. And it was like, I was petrified, right, to to put it nicely. And then also, like, what, what, what kind of qualifications do I have to teach moms about whatever? And now, don't get me wrong. I read every book that I could find about kids and money and the psychology of money. And, so, and I had a great talk prepared. However, my dad sat me down and he said, Amy, this is only going to be an issue if you allow it to be. Mm. And given, and he was watching me study and he was watching me learn. And he's like, you already know more about this topic than 99.9% of the moms that, that you're going to present to. And so that was, that was one of the, that was one of the bigger moments for me. And I'm going to pause there, but there's, there's plenty more where that came from. So I'm curious on a couple of things. 
what what did uh you know this early in your sales journey right so what what did the messaging say if you remember like what angle did you take with the messaging to get such a high positive you know response or uh about a thing that you you know felt you didn't know a ton about you're talking about for the prospect in yep. the outreach messaging yep. Okay. So I got to like, there, this isn't a story unless like I talk, I think I tried three or four different things, including like college planning seminars at libraries. Mm. Right. And I would go to the libraries. And so I was messaging it to the head of the li like the library director. And I would go there and I would bring my, like, I was carrying a little easel cause I had the, <laughs> okay. and nobody would show up. Right. This happened a bunch of times and it was like, okay, like nobody's showing up. And I think I tried one. I think I went to nursery schools too. Cause I was like, all right, I'm going to go try that too. That didn't work. But what worked with the mom's group. So it's something clicked in my brain instead of trying to get people to come out to something that they were not used to coming out mm. to. I was going to find places where they were already hanging out and go to them. And that was like a fundamental shift in my brain. Like it, okay, so I, I don't need to necessarily create the party, right? I have since learned how to do that. But at that moment in time, like I'm just going to go to where the party is. So that was the first thing. And then it was like, okay, where are these parties taking place? And there was another piece of it that like... If you're in mom's group and there's mom, there's tons of mom's groups. There's like, yeah. like uh, mothers of preschool, whatever. There's tons of them and there's one per county. Um, and so I realized that here you got a bunch of moms are getting together and I, uh, they, they run out of things to talk about at these meetings. And so I was like, I'm going to give them an option to try something completely different. Uh, and see who, see who nibbles. And so between those things, like that's, that's how it, it happened. But you know what, Colin is interesting though, cause the first lie, like, like all things, right. It starts with how you think about a particular topic. And I started on this easel. The first slide was a picture of a tree and it had the roots and I, I'm trying to figure out how to build the, this particular tree into one of these sales cast, um, to like Kajabi courses that we're doing. So we're bringing it back. We're bringing uh, it full circle to, you know, it's, it's how you're thinking and it's what you're feeding your brain that produces your results. So lots of great things in, in that story. And thanks for, for taking us back there for a moment. Um, but I'd say the key thing is like, and I think this is just from, you know, how well I know you. This is, this is how much you care about people and, in general, right? And it really shows in the work that you do. And I think this is something that sellers could learn a lot from, right? Is you didn't just reach out and try to do, you know, what maybe everybody else was doing in your space. You really thought mm -hmm. about where are they hanging out? Where, what are they doing? What's the least amount of work for them, you know, to get involved with something like this and reach out in a really meaningful way? Um, based on some really deep thought of understanding who those people are on the other side of that outreach. Hey, Colin, I'll take it a deep a step further. How many financial planners do you know that are thinking about kids? How many financial planners do you know that are th like from the that are thinking about moms mm. and the angle of moms teaching their kids or the absence of like financial literacy programs? I mean, we're going back like twenty five years here at this point. Like there there were 
no programs. Like we weren't even talking about student loans yet. Like this was still, this was still like a, a, a secret thing, but I appreciate that. And I received that compliment. And what was interesting though is that the com- the company, right? My spotted this kid really that was like often like a little random spot in New Jersey and ended up pulling me up, um, to teach a, and, deliver the framework back to people across the country, which was a big thing for me as well. Um, And I think maybe that may have been one of the first times that I fell in love with teaching other sellers. Like I was never about like, oh, I figured something out. Like, let me hoard it. Let me keep it to myself so that I can, you know, nail those leaders boards. Like I, and I've had managers or um, people encourage me to do that. Mm. No, thank you. I'm going to go ahead and share it, please. We're all in different territories. It's totally okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's still some sales organizations that can be very, you know, a little bit of competitiveness is nice, but like overly competitive where it doesn't feel like a team environment and not willing to help, you know, each other with what you see that's working is just a horrible uh, environment to be in for a seller. Yeah. And it's, it happens, um, almost inadvertently, like in the same way that we don't, like we don't teach our managers shit. Like there's like almost, there's next to no sales boss, um, onboarding programs. Like it's, it's actually pretty embarrassing. Uh, however, it's one thing to learn how to coach an individual, but like coaching a team is, is, is a different thing. And so it's very easy to tip into like toxic competition, even just with an aggressive use of dashboards, um, and so you, you really do have to be very, very, very careful about that. Um, Tell me more about cause that. Because it's a fine line to walk. Aggressive use of dashboards. Of dashboards. <laughs> For some reason, I'm super curious to get your thoughts on sales bosses and aggressive use of dashboards. And if you are I a mean, sales boss, you might want to just find another podcast now because this might get ugly. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Okay. Oh, I'm okay. just so, kidding. Uh, Stick around. You might learn a thing or two. <laughs> no, but it, Colin, it's like if it's what is it the the trigger warning? Yeah. And uh, I told you we got we already have to tone down the sarcasm just a bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Jersey. Okay, dirty chairs. Keep it real, friends. Um, okay, so tra- aggressive use of dashboards. All right. So there's a there's a bunch of things. One, I differentiate between sales bosses and sales leaders. And I have a great deal of empathy for the plight of the sales boss and the sales leader. Um, yeah, I mean, if we're giving the sales a, this boss is a more recent thing, if we're giving the sales yeah. boss the benefit of the doubt here, right? And we'll dig into what is a sales boss. Um, it's not their fault. It's really not to extent, you know, at some point you got to take you got to take owner you got to take ownership for you know doing things right and growing and learning but in a lot of cases they're brought up with poor leadership and and it's it's they're you know they're doing the best they can with what they know right and right. so yes you right. can do better and you need to know you know what you should or shouldn't be doing as a sales boss but all right let's let's dig also in also known as educate educate yourself i, I believe um, there's a lot of new and cool programs that are popping up. Like I'm thinking of Derek Jinkowski. I'm thinking of Katie. Um, I know, I don't know who's still doing it, but anyway, seek out the skill development program sales bosses so that we can whatever. But anyway, aggressive use of dashboards. I think the first and biggest one is not focusing on effectiveness, right? And a hyper reliance on activity metrics as opposed to effectiveness. I think that's a massive mistake. I think that. 
Um, we do not do a good enough job as a profession differentiating between uh those that are applying effort to change and grow and develop and maybe not getting the results versus those that are applying no effort at all. So that's a hard thing to capture um, with dashboards. And I, I think the other problem with dashboards is the absence of the coaching, right? Mm -hmm. The absence of that empathy, the absence of that um, like true caring about the person behind the numbers. And, you know, for anyone that's ever stepped out of carrying a bag and maybe moved towards, uh, I don't know if it's sales enablement or sales boss, like Colin, the hardest thing for me when transitioning to sales enablement was realizing how pervasive the thinking was about sellers, right behind the scenes from our own teams, you right? We are not problem solvers. We are cogs in a in a machine like we're line items and we're just going to leave anyway. And sellers don't make great managers because we're so selfish, like all of those things. Like I knew those were things outside of, you know, who, no one's excited to talk to a salesperson. We're the least trusted profession. But like I really at that moment, like, well, it, maybe it was naive. I thought that we were safe, you know, in our own little pot of of. Um, other sellers that maybe are now sales bosses or leaders, but I, I was wrong in that front. And so all of those things are some of the underlying reasons of why dashboards are um, used poorly. Mm, yeah, because so what maybe let's say if there's a sales boss that's listening, it's like, hey, this is all I know. This is this is what I was taught. This is how my sales boss treated me. Mm -hmm. What can they do to change? <laughs> well, step one is awareness, right? So that's that's the thing. Um, what can they do to change? What's a good step one in, you know, once they're aware, like, hey, you know, I didn't even realize I was being this way. It's, this is how I thought I was supposed to do this job, but I want to mm -hmm. do better. Where do I start? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give an answer here. That's probably a very. It's not one that you hear often. Mm. I think a great place to start is to familiarize yourself with the financials of the business, right? We as a profession, we do a great job with understanding top line revenue, right? But when it comes to profit margins or efficiency, right, that the knowledge gap there, it's like I, another way to describe it is like P&L, right? Being responsible for your profit and loss statements as a revenue leader, like this is almost a rare thing. And so, but in the absence, without understanding the mechanics of um, cost and the connection between, you know, activity and cost and then the effectiveness, of the results, it's very hard to move the department towards effectiveness, which is again, right? It's like another way to think about it or another word that people use is your conversion rates. And so step one, I would say is dig into the, the financials of your business. Um, go have a conversation with finance and try to look at the, the department a little bit deeper and a little bit more nuanced you know, then just obviously the top line revenue, because the revenue is important, right? And I am absolutely not saying it is, but how there is zero chance 
of moving your team towards effectiveness and creating dashboards, by the way, which are a byproduct of understanding how to move the team towards effectiveness, there that there's zero chance of that happening without having a much, much, much better understanding of the numbers of the business, again, beyond just that top line revenue. But how does this help me serve the people on my team better? When you as a leader are able to make smart decisions with the resources on your team, including the time and the money of the people around you, then you know how to coach the individuals on your team about how to make smart choices with the time and the resource, like the resources available to them. And like another, like this may be a little bit of a too far of a stretch, but like to bridge the gap, like one of the things that I think that we need to do a much better job teaching our new sellers Mm. about is the 80-20 rule, right? Pareto's principle. You are all, friends, listeners, you are going to get 80% of your results from 20% of your activities. Your job, especially at the beginning, is to identify what those 20% or activities are so that you can both do more of them and stop doing the things that are not working. And so when you like, you can dig into um, like call lists, right? Colin and Colin has his live stream call uh, show that is so fun. It's, it's great television. Uh, it's so fun. <laughs> but like playing around with like each list. Okay. Who are you calling into? Like how deep did you go into the factors? And then let's say Colin's are the episode last week. And then two weeks before that, he can look at the results that he's gotten by way of number meeting set, and then look at those inputs, right? Where did this list come from? And identify which which one was better, right? And the beauty of Pareto's principle, the beauty of the 80-20 rule is that it always plays out. You are always going to get 80% of your results from 20% of your activities. And so um, as a sales leader, when you yourself understand the connection between the activities that are happening and the inputs, including your tools, mm-hmm. and are able to connect the, that, those to results, that is where that understanding, like the true understanding comes from that enables you or empowers you to turn around to your team and help them to also make the same decisions. And, and this is where, this is one of the problems with, or like there's a million reasons why, you know, we're burning through sellers, um, like mental health wise, right? So burnout, but focusing on activity for activity's sake without the connection between the results and not teaching people how to make these decisions for themselves. This is a big part of, of that problem. Does that answer the question? Colin? It does. And just to kind of recap that a little bit, right. Is, I mean, I think what I'm hearing you say, and I totally agree with is, there's a lot of waste that yes. happens, right? Yes. There's a lot of waste where we're coaching on the wrong things because a lot of the coaching is around how to it's how we were coached, you know, yeah. how to it's what the filter bubble is how saying. to focus, how to do more mm-hmm. of the activities that are not the majority of the results, right? So, right. Um, you got to know what are the what are those things that are going to get the majority of your results. And coach around mm-hmm. those and spend more time mm-hmm. on those. And then it becomes less about how much we're doing and how effective we're being in what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I love it. Can I add one more thing to this? We've, when it comes to aggressive dashboards, we have done I ourselves knew we were going to spend tr- a little bit of time here. 
<laughs> you knew you knew it. Oh, okay, good. Because I had no idea. Um, you got me going though on no, this soapbox. Once, man. We once you dropped that line, I was like, "Oh, we're gonna have some fun." <laughs> okay, so the um, when when oh, man, okay, the other challenge with the aggressive use of the dashboards is that we don't understand the principles behind them. Right. And so like, and don't get me wrong. Like I, I love these turnkey. Well, really, and the, I've and the numbers are a couple fluffed of- a lot of times. Reps are just putting in, putting in work to meet the metrics. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what they want. Got to keep the an, boss happy. Got to hit these, you know, I mean, this that has been going on for years. I mean, my first, uh, you know, my first sales job was in a call center and people in the call center would, you know, got to get the phone time up, got to get the dials up. And this is way back when, like, you could call in to get the movie times. You know, you'd, like, mm-hmm. call on the phone to see what time the movies were playing. And, oh, and, yeah, and with people, the, you remember having to wait yeah, on yeah. through so the cycle? That's how reps <laughs> would get their phone time up. They'd be like, man, yeah. George has got incredible phone time. And he's, you know, but he knew. You he, call the movies? He, he knew theaters? every is time. That what you're telling he, me that you he did? He knew every time at every movie theater, <laughs> you know, in southern california because i mean that's that's what he was that's doing all day awesome. and, you know the boss that's thought he awesome. was the greatest ever um, oh my god so, that's awesome you know yeah, you get that's just you an measure. example right and then it, mm-hmm. now you know it's it's you know people were you know sending out lots of messages making lots of calls just for the fact to hit the it's activity, activity. Yeah. but not even mm-hmm. caring and about the results right? right and then reps get comfortable just making the bare minimum you know, knowing that they're never going to hit their full potential mm-hmm. financially. Um, and as long as I can keep hitting these activities, I can survive mm-hmm. off of this, you know, salary that I'm getting. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so here's another problem with the aggressive use of the dashboards. It is um, like I'm thinking some of the turnkeys like building dashboards, by the way, anybody like in sales ops that's listening or revenue ops or whatever, like my heart goes out to you because I know how miserable that is um, and making sure that the integrity of the data is good. So I feel you there. However, we've done ourselves a tremendous disservice with these turnkey dashboards, right? Like just I'm, I can't remember. There's one um, that's whatever the name is escaping me. However, when we're just able to just turnkey and buy a dashboard and like, you know, integrate it into Salesforce, we've lost the principles of these numbers. So, Colin, I'm thinking about um, Jason Bay has a has a spreadsheet that teaches reps how to do how to track their own activity and their own effectiveness. I'd have one that, that I, it's, it's a very different one. And I do custom ones with each person that I coach actually. And there's an episode on my show, the revenue real hotline. I think it was episode three day Kong cracks the talent code. We go into this, but part of what Jason is doing that is so magical. And part of that episode with day that, that moved him from like zero to 300 X better than what he was doing is because we have to break down the principles of prospecting in this almost like building blocks and then put them back together. And so once this is a a critical step, because like if you think about how there's an art and a science to everything, right? What most people get wrong about this concept is that you need to learn the, the science first. You need to understand the principles of what you're doing so that you can then create some art, right? If you're going for results or if effectiveness. And so when we do these dashboards, like we've, we've almost, we've 
removed the like learning how to you know work with your own numbers by touching them and putting them into a a tracker of some kind um and again we've we've handicapped everyone because it's it's one of the reasons why this this art this creativity this autonomy that everyone is looking for which by the way is where happiness lives which is hard to scale um, when you're just focused yeah. on maximizing activity yeah 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 and which is just step one. All right. So. Lissai. Um, <laughs> all right. This, can we talk about the community? Absolutely. It yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's time. Okay, so, t- so okay. you know, originally Jeff Bajoric connected us um, mm-hmm. when you were just trying to get started with your podcast, right? You had yeah. um, some ideas on what you wanted the podcast to be. Um, it was how you wanted to help and serve revenue humans with something that you are super passionate about. I'll let you tell the story, but that's, that's mm-hmm. where, you know, sort of our relationship started and a lot has happened okay. since then. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about transformations, man. Okay. So mm-hmm. I wrote, you know, this, but listeners, I wrote an article for sales hacker about, I don't know, it's like a year and a half ago on mental health, right? Mental health is the greatest competitive advantage that you'll ever know. And in it, I share part of my story. Um, and it, it did, the article did well. Uh, it was also pretty raw and vulnerable, but I, I don't know how it happened, but I remember getting an email from Andy Paul saying, would you come on to the show and talk about like whatever? And at that moment, I had never been on a podcast. Right. And my, of course, my response to him was yes, but like, please tell me, like, I need to buy a blue Yeti microphone. I've been looking for a an excuse to get one. And he's like, yeah, definitely do it. But now at this point, like, so don't get me wrong. Like I, I used the speaking circuit to sell. This was one of my favorite tactics. Like my opportunities towards the end would walk up to me as I stepped off stage and shake my hand and say, can I please email you? And I would say, yes, please. Thank you. Yeah. But that I love, said, I love that part of your story because it's almost like pre- pre-podcast is it's very much you know what happens in the podcast space today with using it to drive revenue build relationships and open doors and you were thinking about it just with a different you heard about the mom story yeah Yeah, that that mom that was 22 years old it was always about this always for me anyway but again i had a dad there's so many people who still don't fully understand the concept they're not there, and that's okay. They'll get there or not, like whatever. If it were easy and if everyone were doing it, it would be harder to differentiate. So yeah. I got no qualms about that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, if you are a part yeah. of the like, Gets It Club, come hang out with yeah. us in SalesCast. But anyway, so the so uh, Andy Paul. So now, like, don't get me wrong. I I told a part of my story and part of that, Colin, as you know, like I committed myself into an inpatient treatment series because I knew I needed help and I couldn't do it by myself. And so sharing a piece of that story um, was I, I it was like two pretty paragraphs about a craft room. And now I'm going to go on the number one podcast in all our entire profession and talk about my mental health story. Yeah. Like I was petrified, shitting my pants, friends, like shitting. Like when people are like, this is I mean, Amy, your show is my first show. I'm like, oh, OK, let's say like, let me tell you about my first experience and then we'll talk about it. Um, but anyway, so I did it. Right. Obviously. And when I was done, two things happened. I asked Andy, like how I could do better next time. Mm. Right. And then the second thing was I knew in that instant that 
podcasting was going to be a critical skill for sellers moving forward? And how could I possibly empower people with these skills and concepts that I myself did not have? And so that's what I set out to do. And then... Yeah, when I, so I, I, Jeff Pajoric was critical during this period. And, uh, yeah, so then when it came time to actually getting this done, right, it got to a point, Colin, where I could not look myself in the mirror any longer until, like, unless I launched this podcast. And so, Jeff, when I was like, I need help, I need somebody that knows, like, what they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what is hosting? I don't even know what that is. And so, Jeff gave me a list of five people that I could possibly reach out to. And I was like, this is way too much due diligence. Like, here are the exact qualities of the person that I need in my corner. Um, and I listed them out. And he's like, okay, well, in that case, you need Colin Mitchell. And that, the rest is history. And by the way, you have been on my show. You were episode one. You interviewed me. Yeah, that doesn't count. It's not the same. It's not we the same. We did it twice, you... so maybe it does count. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to tell people. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was a similar experience. So, so uh, the way I love to kick off a podcast is a guest host interviewing the host. It's, it's, it's my personal favorite way to start a show because... Um, podcast listeners typically go back and listen to, you know, past episodes or episode one, or sometimes you see it as the trailer. Um, and it's a great way to know the host story and why they're doing the podcast. And, you know, a little bit more, cause a lot of times when you're in the host seat, you don't get to tell as much of your story, right? Because you're typically letting somebody else tell their story and navigating through that and having a conversation about that. So I love launching and kicking off a podcast with a guest host, you know, interviewing the host. And so that's what we did for your show. Um, and I was, you know, um, it was very, um, nice of you to ask me to be that guest host. And you (laughs) asked me after, how was that? And I was honest with you. And I said, I think we can do better. So we did it again. I know the exact words. And I know what the exact (laughs) words are because I left it at the Uh, beginning. I actually started (laughs) My first episode with yeah. Colin Mitchell saying, mm, mm, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was being nice. That was being nice. Um, but a funny and story. So did it again. Funny story. My first podcast, my first podcast okay. that I had, which um, I think I did about 200 and something episodes with that show. Okay. Um, and I was interviewing entrepreneurs and founders. And okay. um, one of the first interviews. Now, we didn't, we didn't start. Oh, we did start the show. You know, interview Chris interviewed me, and then my okay. first me interviewing somebody. So my very first experience. I mean, podcasting is tough. It's one of the toughest things, right? And yeah, agreed. Um, we're always our own worst critics, right? So it helps to have support, to have friends, to have people, to have community um, mm-hmm. of people that give you feedback, like real feedback, <laughs> not like, oh yeah, it was great. <laughs> You know, like, no, it's answer questions. No, it's like, we should do it again. Why can't I? Yeah. Why can't I hear my microphone? What was the question in there yesterday? Somebody's like, all right, I just bought the second microphone and I still can't get my headset to to come through. Yeah. That helps too. Okay. I'm sorry. Continue, sir. uh, Yeah. So I interviewed, I interviewed a guy named Roger, Roger Young, uh, a good friend of mine. And we were done and I thought I did great. (laughs) And I said, how how was it? He's like, it was horrible. You need to just, he's like, you need to just be yourself. He's like, I have time if you want to do it again. I'm like, please. (laughs) So you experienced that too. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know what? Sometimes I have people who come on the show Mm -hmm. 
And I'll never forget it because in that first show, there was somebody who came on who asked me, hey, how was it? And I was like, yeah, it's good. You know, and and then I never released it because it really wasn't good. Yeah. And I felt horrible about it. And then eventually yeah, you I do feel bad about yeah, this. And then yeah. eventually I told him, I said, you know what? It really just wasn't what we were looking for. We're not going to release this episode. Um, mm-hmm. In that moment, I told myself, I'm never going to do that again. If somebody asks okay. me, you know, whether it's a host or a guest or how, you know, what they're, I'm just going to be honest with them, regardless of how well I know them or not. Um, mm-hmm. And this just happened the other day. I had somebody on and it was probably one of his first few times being on a podcast and he has right. a good message and he has great, great experience. Just doesn't have a lot of experience telling a story on a podcast. And he asked me at the end, how was it? And I was like, you know, it wasn't that great. And here's why. Mm-hmm. And we can do it again mm-hmm. if you want. Mm-hmm. You know, and people appreciate it. I love it. that. I do. I love it. And it's one of my favorite things. So listeners, my show, it's called Revenue Real Hotline. It is conversations about uncomfortable conversations and revenue. Really quickly, I chose the topic for two reasons. One, in its simplest form, selling is really just a series of conversations, really. So it's really relationships. It's how we experience the other person, mm. right? And and in many ways, it's how we experience ourselves, especially if you have to listen to them over again, again and again. And if you're doing it right, selling, that is, there's always an element of discomfort, yeah. right? So there's a skill development aspect to the conversations, and that is part of the show, right? How hopefully... I'm inspiring to get to a point where there's instruction, right? How to take what we're listening to and, um, you know, apply that into how we sell. But then the other piece of it, Colin, is there's a lot of unspoken conversations about mm. how we generate revenue as a profession, as a, as a country. And I, uh, I for one, am t- I'm tired of the silence. And so between those two angles, this is what got me to, uh, to the topic and, I think so. Season one is done. We're working on the so sales cast. Obviously, is is producing the show, and we're working on the wrap up video. But I am so excited for season two. So excited. Yeah, I heard there might even be some solo episodes coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now you yeah, have to commit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know. I'm excited about that. I am. I'm excited. Yeah. Me too. I'm ner- I mean, I'm a little nervous. Like, we'll see what happens. But like, for me, this is... It's all about like, testing I'm, things, right? Like, it, it, yeah. you know, I think that's just like as sellers, you got to mm-hmm. test new messaging. You got to test new targets. You got to test new approaches. You got to test mm-hmm. different channels. You got to test all of these things, right? I mm-hmm. Then nothing drives me... Nothing. Well, I'll just say it. Nothing pisses me off more than the gurus out there in the sales space saying like, there's only one way to do it, or you have to do it this way, or this doesn't work and that works and stop doing this and start doing that and have this hard line on what you should or shouldn't do as a seller. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. Like what works for me may not work for Amy. Um, and you know, it, you got to test and have your own experience and hopefully you are working in a place that gives you the autonomy to, you know, be creative and do the job that is the best way for you to get it done. Right now, there's some basic principles, but Mm -hmm. there, you know, there's just, there's just people are too dynamic, right? And sales is dealing with people and having conversations and that is different in every situation. Um, and Mm. you know, I think that to say that there's one way to do something is totally wrong. Um, and to tie it back to like podcasting, like the best thing to do is to just get started, whether it's a guesting journey, whether it's starting a show, you don't have to have it all figured out. 
um, it's kind of like just hop in the plane without the landing gear and you'll land safely eventually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Okay. I don't know. We're all special snowflakes after all. And plus, you know what, on top of everything worth that you just said, Colin, about why there is no one size fits all, um, sales is always changing. Mm. The way the buyers are buying is always changing. Are you? Which is that it's not even my line. That's Mark Cosglow. That's his tagline on LinkedIn. And I love it. And I've had him on my show. He was one of the first. So like, uh, that's for you, Mark. One more time, I'll give you credit. And then it's going to be mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sales is always changing. Yeah. So there's, but whatever. And, and, and you got to find what works for you. But uh, in, with that caveat, I will say, um, I'm going to drop Colin one less dadism and then I'll be done on that. But everything works and nothing works. (laughs) You just have to do it long enough in order to give your results enough time to to come in. So don't quit too early. And that goes for podcasting too. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Amy, where can people connect with you, get into your world? We're going to drop a link for Revenue Real um, in the show notes. What else should we? Well, obviously in the SalesCast community, like that is, this is where all the cool kids are hanging out. And no further comment about that. Um, I can be found on LinkedIn, obviously. And the website, right? We're just, we're in the process of building it out. And so I'm excited about that. You can certainly come play around over there and that's amazing. And my email address, friends, is amy at, at salescast.co. So by all means, you can hit me up there as well. All right. We'll drop all of that in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. It really does help us out. And I'm always listening for your feedback. You can go to salestransformation.fm, drop me a voice DM, and I will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad and I might even give you free access to our best templates.